breaking the walls between economics, physics, and geometry. How optimal allocation of resources and entropy meet in the non-Euclidean world. Cédric Villani, Université de Lyon and Institut Henri Poincaré. When the wall came down, I was at home with my parents. Hello, everybody. It's great pleasure and great honor for me to speak in this session after these great talks we just heard. And uh, after Ingrid, I will take you back for a short while in the wonderful world of mathematics. Now, there is some kind of uh, curse on mathematician, like in the, the legend of the Lady of Shalott. Mathematician is condemned by this curse to look at the world only through its reflection. In this case, this is abstract reflection of mathematical formulas and concepts. And the world is complicated, as we know, and full of wars. <coughs> and so is the mathematical world, also full of mysteries, of riddles, and of uh, great walls awaiting to be taken down. If you ask a mathematician what is the greatest wall of all, maybe the most famous, there is a good chance he answers the Riemann hypothesis. Here I wrote deeper scientific mystery of our times. Of course, this is pretentious exaggeration, but if you talk to a mathematician, that is kind of the idea. Uh, Riemann hypothesis is related to the distribution of prime numbers, how they arise around numbers, and because these numbers, in turn, played a critical role in uh, encryption. The Guardian, a few years ago, fantasized that maybe solution of this mathematical holy grail could bring disaster for internet. Of course, that is uh, exaggeration, spectacular, but still, there's no need for that exaggeration. Riemann hypothesis is a, a monster with many implications. In fact, there's a million dollar bounty on the head of the Riemann hypothesis. If you solve it, you get one million bucks. But as Andrew Weiss once put it, most mathematicians would gladly give away a million dollars to have the honor to solve this problem. Now, Riemann did not leave us only with unsolved problems, but also he solved great problems. One of those which he left us is the non-Euclidean geometry, called Riemannian geometry in his honor. In this world of non-Euclidean geometry, at each location, units of length and angles may change. Like in the picture on the bottom here, in this artist's view of the hyperbolic geometry, in which each fish has the same length, just because the unit of length changes from place to place in this disk. And uh, in this world, the shortest path between two points is not any longer a straight line, but it may be a curved line, like, in fact, on the surface of the Earth. Planes who want to minimize the time they spent in the air don't follow straight lines. They follow these shortest curves, which are called geodesics. And uh, Riemann also left us with a great way to distinguish between some of these geometries. This is called the curvature. In this uh, world, some uh, curvature fits curved in a positive way, as we say, as is the case on the sphere. This is on the bottom left here. Then triangles are fatter, and geodesics get closer. Look at this outrageously fat triangle drawn on the sphere with three right angles, adding up to 270 degrees. On the contrary, if you live in a negatively curved world, then triangles are skinny, as on the right, in this hyperbolic geometry. Negative curvature world 
is often very elegant and has been the source of inspiration for artists. Look at these beautiful shapes, negatively curved hyperbolic surfaces arising in several problems. The one on the right there by uh, sculptor Hiroshi Sugimoto is currently under display at a major uh, exhibition of contemporary art in Paris. Where else could that be? Well, <laughs> but, but uh, Romanian geometry is not only good for art. It's also a tremendously efficient tool. When Einstein developed the theory of general relativity, he used the formalism of Riemann. You see him on the blackboard? The equation he's writing here, R-I-K, R here stands for Riemann. It's the Riemannian curvature, well, Ricci Riemannian curvature. And uh, this also has had applications in your daily life. Whenever you use GPS, there is some calculations in there related to general relativity. So there's a bit of Einstein and a bit of Riemann in your GPS, as you can check next time you open it. <laughs> now, Riemann did not do only this. In fact, when you look, you look at Encyclopedia, the list of concepts to which Riemann has attached his name is just tremendous, in contrast with the brevity of his life. All this makes Riemann a kind of romantic hero. He would be the Chopin of mathematics, in a way change completely the whole thing in a short amount of time. In fact, I know of a world-famous rock singer who told me she goes from time to time to meditate on the grave of Riemann, <laughs> maybe getting some inspiration. This, why not? I, too, like to go over graves. <laughs> Here is me <laughs> in the central cemetery in Vienna on the grave of one of my heroes. Ludwig Boltzmann, Austrian physicist, one of the greatest. Boltzmann developed the kinetic theory of gases, in which you are interested in the statistical properties of the gas, like the air around us or uh, in any kind of situation, in which you don't want to look all the precise positions of the molecules of the gas, but the statistics of it, like the curve that is there on the right, on the top. Just below that curve is the Boltzmann equation which describes with extreme precision the evolution of the distribution of particles. Think about this, because this is an amazing achievement. The particles all around us, these are all molecules, billions of billions of them, all bouncing on each other in all kind of chaos, like in a, in a fury, crazy, really. And in spite of all this mess, the Boltzmann equation can predict with great accuracy what will become of these statistical properties, and you can use it. Boltzmann further devised the formula for the entropy, S is k log w, which is now written on his grave. S is k log w, w here is the number of configurations in which you can arrange your gas. For instance, if your gas is confined in a half box, this gives you much less possibilities than if it's spread all around the box. How many uh, less possibilities? It's a huge, huge number, much, much bigger than these attoseconds we heard about recently. <laughs> or than the, or than the uh, cra debt crisis, of course. Now, Boltzmann also gave practical formulas for this. The formula you see at the bottom, minus integral f log f, is a practical formula for computing the entropy. This is a lot 
for a single man, and at the time of Boltzmann, not all his ideas were well understood. But later, his followers held him as a hero, like Einstein, Perrin, or Smolchowski, people who used his work to prove the existence of atoms that now we are know how to, we can visualize thanks to technology. And uh, on this example, also, there are important applications that came later. Uh, there are some people, probably in the audience, whose car engine was optimized by some code based on lattice Boltzmann equation to look at the air movements in the engine. Now, on the case of Boltzmann, like in the case of Riemann, we see that applications can come uh, about 100 years after a scientific discovery. But it's not only always the case, and sometimes applications come in a very straightforward day. This is the case, most spectacularly, in the work of one of my other heroes, Leonid Kantorovich. If there ever was a devoted scientist for the public good, this was Kantorovich. And his work is emblematic of all mathematics with its apparent contradictions and diversity. He worked on very abstract subjects like functional analysis of partly ordered spaces, but also very concrete topics like railroad transport, frightening applications like atomic bomb, but also very benevolent ones like helping people to escape from the siege of St. Petersburg by the German army through the road of life, or revolutionizing the taxi fare, which is a, an example which did change the life of people in Russia. Hirantorovich wrote some masterpiece treatises in economics, in mathematical economics, which won him the Nobel Prize in 1975. The Nobel Prize, well, some of you might know that uh, the father of Alfred Nobel was the inventor of plywood. And in a way, it is plywood that started the way of Kantorovich to the Nobel Prize. One fine day, this guy from plywood industry knocked at the door of Kantorovich and asked them, okay, Professor Kantorovich, we have this problem and so on, we're making plywood, we're extracting wood from this and that, and that place, and we want to put them, our wood, to the places where it will be processed, our machine can process that amount of wood and so on. How should we do it? How should we organize the transfer in a way that is most economical, the best possible? Kantorovich thought a lot and understood this problem was of much more general nature. He turned it into an abstract problem and uh, solved with this a whole bunch of problems, including the problem of optimal transport asked by Monge more than 150 years before him. Now it's called the optimal allocation theory. It tells you about the best way to distribute production to match it with the consumption areas in such a way as to spend the least possible energy in transport. At the same time, Kantorovich developed the theory of prices which was a very dangerous thing to do at the time in communist Soviet Union. You could, well, risk death for inventing a rational theory of prices. So, this was really a great man. Here, in fact, his theory, now called linear programming, is, occurs in a number of problems, like the one I put here, uh, which are solved day, daily by many industries. This is taken from a tutorial that you get on the web of all these linear programming problems, which all fall in the range of the Kantorovich technique. Uh, it's about uh, linear programming is whenever it happens that you have to optimize some quantity which is proportional to each amount of the unknown. And it's done very well nowadays by a number of computer tools. So you see here the power of the abstraction, which allows you to solve a number of problems at the same time once you identify the right formalism. So these are three great men. Each of them solve 
destroyed a great wall. Kantorovich and his theory of optimal transport, optimal allocation, Riemann and his theory of non-Euclidean geometry, fat or skinny triangles, and Boltzmann with his uh, entropy and the formula. Now, sometimes progress is obtained by uh, destroying a wall against uh, adversity, against the unknown. Sometimes it's obtained by destroying an internal wall, something that separates some fields. And this is a case of what I'm presenting here in, uh, uh, today. So a wall which we destroy together with some collaborators between these three fields, recognizing a hidden unity behind them and the link that was unexpected, completely unexpected for us also. Uh, this was made in team. Like all many scientists, I'm just part of a team. If you allow just another brick in the wall, the great wall of science. And in particular, made with my German collaborator Felix Otto at the time in Santa Barbara and my American collaborator John Lott. So one fine day, in my, I was in this ugly building, math department in Berkeley, on the beautiful campus, and John Lott knocked at my door. Hello, Professor Villani. I read your paper with Felix, and I'd like to do some great work together about Romanian geometry and your work on optimal transport. I was very surprised, and I said, what is this going to do? And we did. We did a long collaboration and solved this problem and found this link that John felt there was as a consequence of our work with Felix Otto. Let me, in just one slide, one thought experiment, as Einstein would have said, summarize this link. Let's call it the lazy gas experiment, and you will recognize the three basic ingredients of the three theories I presented to you. It's a new way to conceive positive curvature. But now it's not about the shape of triangles, but it is equivalent. But it is set in terms of statistical theory, the way you would explain the ideas of Riemann to Boltzmann if he was still alive, or to his ghost. Now, uh, this, is, this is the experiment. You start from a gas, you see here on the top left, there is a t equals zero, a certain density of gas. Say there are some regions of high density, low density, and you decide that the gas has to be in another configuration at time t equals one, say one minute later. You impose this on the gas, and the gas will obey you, and all the particles of the gas, all the molecules, will be redistributed to occupy positions at time one in such a way that the new density is achieved. But the gas obeys you, but he's lazy. He doesn't want to spend too much energy. So he will do this process of reallocating the mass in the most economical way, as in the world of Kantorovich. And while the gas is doing this, at each moment of time, you measure its entropy, its disorder, in the sense of Boltzmann, using the formula set by Boltzmann about the entropy, S is minus integral rho log rho, Whatever this means, you compute this entropy, and if the curve is like this, always concave, always above the line, then you know you live in a positively curved way, in the sense of Riemann. Uh, so this, in this way, the three concepts are linked in an unexpected way. Will this have practical applications? Who knows? Maybe 100 years from now? maybe a few years, maybe in some computer program, who knows. In a way, this is the end of my talk, but this was the beginning of a story for me. Based on that in particular, I wrote, the, I wrote a thousand-page book, Optimal Transport, Old and New, which was quite a hit in the community and inspired many further researches. You see, you get inspiration also from the frequentation of these dead people. And, uh, 
this uh, also, you may say, you see as soon as you make connections between different fields, all the knowledge you accumulated here, you can recycle there. All of a sudden, you're richer in terms of knowledge. So for the moment, I will just be happy to say that uh, I'm happy as a scientist who just discovered a new way to look at the world, a new enrichment in terms of knowledge. Thank you very much.